COVID-19 pandemic has impacted working women around the world, their job satisfaction, career prospects, and mental health. However, there have been some signs of optimism, including in the Gulf. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast, coming from The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is co-host and The National's future editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. Yeah, I'm excited today to be talking about this really important topic. I think if the last year and a half has taught us anything, you know, women wiped out a lot of their gains in the workplace, but also our growing consciousness of ESG metrics, this idea of environmental social governance issues. We have this growing awareness of how important representation is in order to navigate uncertain times. And so to talk more about these uncertain times for women in the workplace, but to highlight maybe some of the bright points, I'm excited because we have Dina Kamel, our aviation correspondent, actually, for The National, joining us. She's been working on this beat for the last couple of months. Hi, Dina. Hi, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to come on and talk about this topic, which deserves a lot more attention, especially now during the pandemic. Always. So can you frame up for us uh, what what the current issues are, maybe from more of a global perspective, and then we can zoom in on some of the great work you've been doing on the regional stuff? Sure, absolutely. So we've heard in no uncertain terms from um, global entities like the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and many others uh, voicing deep concerns about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted women specifically and more deeply. Um, You know, during what has been a turbulent time for everybody, women have had a lot more tougher um, because they've been juggling more household duties, more uh, caregiving duties at home as, you know, uh, school work shifted um, uh, to homes. Uh, They've been juggling bigger workloads. Um, so, So this has led to a lot of deep dissatisfaction at work, a lot of pessimism about their career prospects, Um, and to be honest, a lot of deteriorating mental health as well for for women trying to juggle all these issues. And so what what that has meant is that the the hard-won gains that women have carved out um, over the past few years are um, being eroded uh, by by COVID and by what's happening for women in the workplace at the moment. And, and this is a matter of uh, deep concern and uh, um, global entities have been calling and policymakers all over the world to ensure that when they are working back, working to build back their economies, um, that this means a deeper and bigger focus on gender inclusion. So when we think about decades of reforms, decades of feminist action, this idea, this feeling now in 2021 that women are having to bench themselves to take a sideline. But interestingly, Saudi Arabia, which for decades had one of the lowest rates of female workforce participation in the world, the dynamic is changing there. And you wrote that story recently for The National. So what is changing in Saudi Arabia? Uh, so there, this is a fascinating uh, case, and there are um, wide sweeping and, and deep reforms uh, happening in, in Saudi Arabia. So uh, this is a country that has um, typically seen very low female um, participation in the workforce, as you pointed out. But in fact, last year in 2020, um, 
they they hit a, a, a target of female participation in the workforce reaching 33% at the end of 2020. Um, and, and that's a huge jump from 19% in 2016. So actually what they've done is um, they've hit that target a decade earlier uh, than they were set to do. Um, that was supposed to uh, be a target they would meet in 2030. Uh, they've reached that much earlier. Under the Vision 2030 plan, so workforce participation, why is it important in Saudi Arabia that they get women into jobs? Well, I mean, other than the very obvious, you know, um, social justice um, reasons of having, you know, um, more women in the workforce, more diversity, you know, this is a push for social justice, this is a push for an equitable society, this is the way things should be. But also, um, having more women in the workforce means basically unlocking the untapped potential of, of female workers, um, which has huge long-term um, economic benefits for the country. So, you know, let's talk about some, some of these benefits. What does that mean for the kingdom? Um, it's it's basically you're, you're tapping into um, the female labor workforce, which is essential for economic diversification. Uh, this is something that's that's big on Saudi's agenda at the moment. Um, so having more women join in different sectors means that you're developing your non-oil sectors. It means you're creating more jobs for Saudi citizens. And it means you're basically stimulating economic growth. Um, and of course, you know, uh, the statistics show that women have higher university enrollment than men uh, in Saudi Arabia. So you're basically, by hiring women in the workforce, you're basically unlocking these returns on education. You're benefiting from the skill set of very highly educated um, uh, young women. Um, and, and so what does this mean? Like in, in terms of economic benefits, you're basically looking at higher productivity. Um, you're basically looking at households that now get bigger incomes with women working. Uh, that stimulates um, more consumer spending, and that obviously sets the wheel in motion for more economic growth. Um, and then, of course, you get all the benefits of more gender diversity on company boards, uh, more women in leadership roles, um, which has proven, you know, economic benefits for companies. Um, so, so the, the benefits are are really uh, wide ranging. Uh, Dina, you make the point about diversity and. For me, diversity goes hand in hand with resilience. And, and since this discussion is being framed in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we all understand more than ever how important resilience is, if we, whether it's a company, institution, or country, need to emerge from this particular crisis uh, healthier and stronger, we need resilience and, and we need the diversity, um, whether it's gender, background, um, education, perspective, um, and and you mentioned about women on boards, and so you know beyond Saudi Arabia, you look at the wider region, you look at the Gulf, um, and and the UAE, which this year also um, asked listed companies, publicly listed companies, to add at least one woman to their boards if they don't already have them, um, because there's a you know there's a growing understanding in this region that you need you, you can't just be homogenous. You're not gonna you're not gonna chart 
proper strategies to help support the economic growth and the economic opportunities that we all need, women, men, young people in particular. Um, and otherwise, we're, we're at risk of, of kind of staying in that echo chamber. Um, I would I would also add that you're not just our aviation correspondent. You're also covering the mental health beat from the point of view of business in particular. You have a fellowship with the Carter Foundation. So you've been doing quite a, quite a bit of reporting recently on on that and i wonder if you could you could you're able to kind of give that perspective of of how the pandemic you know from the from the business and economic point of view and, and women in the workplace how that that's become a topic of discussion like like never before absolutely i mean you hit the nail uh, on the head there that uh covid 19 has had you know major impact on people's mental health um and particularly so uh, on women, obviously, everybody has has suffered during these these difficult times. But um, there has been a lot of research done on um, how women's mental health has particularly been affected in the workplace because um, they not only have to juggle careers, but they're also uh, juggling more caretaking duties at home. As uh, you know, more children are studying at home rather than schools. They're juggling more household duties. And that has the combination of all that and, and the uncertainty um, around job security, um, the, the, the difficulties of um, juggling all these tasks has really taken a huge toll um, on women's mental health, um, you know, particularly in, in the workplace. Um, so recently, um, about a month ago, Deloitte, actually put out uh, a survey on um, the state of, of women in the workplace and some of the issues and the challenges that they were facing during these difficult times. And currently, you know, it, it shows it shows a huge deterioration in the mental well-being of uh, female workers, um, the way that uh, they no longer have clear boundaries between work and personal life. That, that's been difficult to establish. Um, only a third of the women surveyed by Deloitte said that they, their mental well-being was good or extremely good. Uh, and that compares with 68% before the pandemic. So there's a clear deterioration uh, there. Um, again, the women surveyed by Deloitte, they reported a 35-point drop in, in, in their mental health. Um, you know, motivation has decreased. Uh, there's more pessimism um, about, uh, about their careers. Um, so, so that has painted quite a dark picture for for women, you know, in, in, in the work environment. And and there's been calls for employers to really address that because you know women are half the population, and if you, you know, it, it, it's it's essential um, to take care of their employment and, and mental health needs in order to keep the economy going. Dina, I think earlier on in the pandemic, there were, you know, bold predictions around work from home being one of the silver bullets to our future working lives. And there was this anticipation that uh, WFH or hybrid work would become the norm. But what we're seeing in the data in terms of its effects on, as you point out, half the population, uh, if you were to, not that you have a crystal ball, but where do we go from here? If you can make some forward-looking statements as to some trends that you are seeing, whether in Saudi or the UAE or elsewhere, um, what what are the reforms in place that are working? What where where do we head? Uh, well, Saudi has been an interesting um, 
a case study in reforms that are benefiting uh, women and, and therefore the wider society and the bigger economy. So over the last few years, as part of its um, Vision 2030 program to um, overhaul the economy and, and, and diversify away from oil and, and modernize society, there's been a series of structural reforms. Uh, these are economic and social reforms that the kingdom has undertaken, and those have had uh, a massive impact on, on women and bringing them into the workforce. Uh, likewise, there have been a focus on Saudiization rules, so bringing more Saudi Saudis uh, working in sectors like retail, for example. Um, and we've also seen the private sector taking initiative in hiring more women, um, you know, sort of in line with uh, the government's inif- initiatives for gender inclusion. So these uh, structural reforms have really helped um, women uh, get a better grip in, 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 in the workplace. Um, in fact, in 2020 in Saudi Arabia, we've seen a spike in, in female employment at, the t- at a time when globally around the world, a lot of women um, were actually having to leave the workplace uh, either because of unemployment, you know, that they've lost their jobs or because it was just really difficult to um, manage family and household duties with with workplace demands. Um, So it's interesting that actually um, during COVID, Saudi women have have had more opportunities to to join the workforce. And um, that's a result of some of these structural reforms, but it's also a result of allowing more women to work from home. And that has given them the flexibility um, to be able to uh, juggle duties uh, family duties, but but also further their careers. There's also been in in Saudi Arabia, in particular, the reforms that have been done have are now bearing fruit. So you know, they're reforms that uh, allow women to drive, for example. So that's better mobility to get to work. There's been changes in guardianship, family, and labor laws. Uh, so what that means is, for example, you know, women are now able to travel abroad without permission. They can apply for passports and official documents without requiring representation by a male guardian. And that's translating gradually into an increase in economic independence for women. Um, and it's loosening some of these um, gender segregation rules that we've been seeing in the past. Um, overall, there are also reforms that are creating a more... Um, uh, women-friendly work environment. Uh, so, you know, laws that are now protecting women from uh, discrimination in employment uh, and laws that are encouraging more um, female entrepreneurship by, by giving women more access or more equal access uh, to financial services. So some of these reforms have, have greatly benefited women, especially as you point out, work from home has really given them quite the nudge forward. Dina, that's really interesting. The the the, the development arc that, that's going on there, and and I, I think going forward, it seems there is a commitment to to kind of make these these changes, and and they can see, you know, policymakers can see the the benefits. Um, and and I wonder, sort of more broadly, um, you know, if we talk about the bigger trends, um, whether it's you know work from home or, or technology or otherwise, um, you know, things are changing so quickly. In terms of how how we work, um, how how we view our careers, um, and the, the it's probably a window now for the Gulf region to get as many women as possible 
into 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 the workforce, into the economy, and more importantly, actually in leading positions um, in in terms of of business and and commerce and trade, because we, you know, we 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 don't really know how this is all going to shake out. We don't really know. We have an idea. We, you know, we think we have an idea of what the future looks like, but we don't. We're not really sure. And given given that we have various economic challenges, whether it's the pandemic or climate change or, or or any of the big structural obstacles that globally we're all working together to do. If you if we have the opportunity now, whether again it's employers or policymakers, to push these things through, it really is urgent. And and it feel it feels like we have a you know a kind of a window that may not stay open forever. Absolutely. Yeah, Mustafa, you're right. This is this is a golden opportunity for policymakers, um, government, uh, government officials, for authorities to really use um, the situation of the COVID-19 pandemic to, to uplift women, to build back economies better by ensuring um, more gender inclusion and by, by ensuring that women are um, in more company boards and more leadership roles are becoming um, an activated part of, of the economy. Um, and for that to happen, uh, there needs to be a shift in, in, in policymaking. So there's there's got to be uh, a bigger focus on um, greater investment uh, in, in education for women, particularly in um, the STEM um, uh, areas uh, of study uh, that will bring women into, uh, you know, typically male-dominated areas like, uh, let's say, for example, aviation or space or, or other areas of uh, fields of study. Um, this also means the need to uh, upskill women so that they're um, up to par with, you know, their digital cap capabilities, for example, um, just as, you know, there's more digitalization happening in, in the global economies. Um, so, so definitely it's, it's a golden opportunity to, uh, to make meaningful change uh, for the future uh, in, in terms of uplifting women, in terms of um, gender equality, as you, as you say, as well as, as other goals like climate change. To just underscore your point, alongside policymaking, I mean, the private sector can't sit on its hands. It's incumbent upon companies to also make their own structural changes. And which is why I mentioned ESGs at the top, because it's a way of, you know, building in metrics, building in measurements. And there is a growing awareness and I think really a broader support for ESG efforts from investors, from activist shareholders. And really, I think from the wider public, I think customers now, too, are just demanding that companies demonstrate that they are interested in growing diverse teams that are focused on these really 21st century issues. And women are core to that. I mean, S&P Global did a 2020 st study that I thought was really kind of impactful. One of the big quotes from them was that women represent one of the biggest underutilized sources of growth on the planet for private companies. That to unlock real potential, you've got to get women involved. And so this lack of representation uh, you know, becomes more of a liability, more of a risk, in fact, than it is about anything like justice. It's, you know, it's about if you want to grow, if you want to be part of the conversation in 2021, you've got to diversify. Um, 
And women are tend to be, if you look at public company boards and stock performance, women outperform. If you have a women's female C- CFO, chief financial officer, that leader will actually allow your company to outperform the global average and your stock will perform better on average, according to S&P. So there's like just some fascinating, I think, so thinking about policy, but also thinking about what can boardrooms be doing? What can companies be doing to build this in and not actually miss opportunity? I would add that, you know, the, the, the there is a lot of potential and there's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, the challenges remain uh, as we discussed at the at the beginning, and and you know mentioning that survey by Deloitte, I mean the, the Middle East, North Africa region, uh, female labor force participation is 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 quite low. It's it's around twenty two percent. So you know the and the and there is a big difference between the Gulf and 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 the wider MENA region. Um, the UAE has an average female participation rate of forty six percent. In the public sector, that's at about sixty six percent, two thirds, which is if you compare it to the to the regional average, that's quite amazing. But it, but again, it comes to your point, Kelsey. You can't sit on your hands. Um, and and again, Dina, what you were saying about policy. So there's one example, which is that the UAE government's working with LinkedIn to give uh, young Emirati women, uh, you know, to upskill them. Given that you know we discuss these these wider trends and and how everything is changing and and the chances are going forward we we may have several careers we may need to um, you know have to reskill a couple of times um, throughout uh, our lives and so really the the trick is right now is learning to learn you know to be learning to become your biggest skill and sometimes you know if we whether it's STEM education or otherwise we can train for one thing. And feel that's it and that's done. But really, our mindsets need 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 to adjust. Um, and uh, you know, you took it Zayed University here, working with Minerva, um, the Silicon Valley company, to kind of re-engineer what um, higher education looks like. So across the board, you're seeing action. So yes, you know, I just want to make it clear: the challenges are there. We have to be realistic, and we know where we want to get to with the potential. But and we're trying to we're trying to get there, and it's it's not like nothing is happening. So. So I think there are, it's fair to say there are signs signs for optimism. Signs for optimism. But no, I mean, of course, discrimination, exclusion remain pervasive globally. And it's incredibly disheartening to hear about this growing trend of women taking themselves out of the game. Uh, but women and men together, yes, constant learning, I think, is the name of the game these days. I think as you uh, both really summed it up very well, it's not just about, you know, it's not enough for, for governments to just lay down policies. There, there needs to be um, uh, more initiative taken by the private sector um, to really consciously and actively uh, include women in uh, not just in the workforce, but, but also in, in top roles. And some of that has been happening to an extent, you know, we, we've seen um uh, across the Gulf, you know, uh, in in a typically male-dominated sector like banking, for example, uh, there's been moves to to have um, uh, more women in bank boards, uh, more women leading um, banks. So the mindset is shifting. Uh, the idea is to do that um, more widely and more quickly. Uh, in order to really catch up and 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 overcome the challenges uh, that that have been added by uh, COVID uh, and and the way that it's been eroding some of those gains made uh, made in the past. So 
uh, really quick and, and decisive action by both uh, uh, the public and the private sector. Um, and, and including women in these conversations to, to really um, check in on what it is that they require, what it is that they need to, to really uplift them uh, in the workforce and the economy. Dina Kamel, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a, a great discussion. Kelsey Warner, thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan. Do join us again next time.